Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to our Sunday morning service. And uh, we trust that everybody is doing well, and uh, we are hoping that all of you have a great, wonderful Thanksgiving that is coming up next week. And next Sunday, we will, once again, we will uh, have a live in-house service beginning next Sunday. So do remember that, and also remember to pray one for another. On Wednesday, I, uh, I spoke from the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6, and... Um, talked about, <coughs> excuse me, talked about uh, uh, the light and how that helps us to be energetic and continue on in our endurance until that great day when Jesus comes. So this morning I am going to speak from the same chapter, but we're going to uh, be reading from verses 13 through 20. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Version, okay? Hebrews 6 and verses 13 through 20. Here it goes. It says, For when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, saying, Blessing, I will certainly bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so it was that he, Abraham, having waited long and endured patiently, realized and obtained in the birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come, what God had promised him. And men swear by a greater than themselves, and with them in all disputes, an oath taken for confirmation is final, and it in strife. Accordingly, God also, <laughs> in His desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who were to inherit the promise those that were to inherit the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan intervened or uh, mediated with an oath so in other words God in the scripture here Bible is saying that this promise that God made to Abraham was so important that he he uh, he made an oath to himself that whatever he promised was going to come to pass, and so this oath was this was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God ever to prove false or deceive us. We who have fled to him for refuge might have mighty indwelling strength 
and strong encouragement to grasp and to hold fast the hope appointed for us and set before us. Now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It cannot slip. It cannot break down under whoever steps on it. A hope that reaches farther and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. Now listen, verse number 20, and this is, is really the, uh, uh, the focus here of uh, my thought this morning. Verse number 20 says, Where Jesus has entered in for us in advance, a forerunner, having become a high priest forever, after the order with the rank of Melchizedek. And so I want to I speak to us this morning on this thought. Jesus is my forerunner. Jesus is my forerunner. And I know that was uh, quite a bit of scripture to read there in the beginning, but I just felt like that... Uh, uh, that we had to really read that in order to get the context of what I'm, I'm uh, going to be speaking about this morning. So here we have in verses 13 through 20, the writer is using Abraham as an example of why instead of having doubt, we can have a confident hope. Hope in what? God bringing to, pre- to pass his promises that were first delivered to Abraham. The promise that I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. How many of us want the blessing of God in our life? How many of you want to believe that that is a promise that is beyond anything that can corrupt it? Here... Here's where this this promise is initiated, if you will. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Here's what he tells Abraham. He says, Abraham, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And whoever curses you, I will curse. Wow. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's a pretty large promise. Don't you think? That's big. That is really big. Now, but that promise was not just to Abraham. He was the, he was, in a sense, he was simply the forerunner of this plan that God ultimately was going to enlarge from one man to enlarge it to be a global, if you will, a global nation and group of people that Today we call the church. And so 
we know this promise wasn't just for Abraham. If you'll turn your Bibles to Romans the chapter number 4 and verse 13, it reads like this. It says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, now, again, bear with me. Uh, we have, we've just got to read uh, a couple of scriptures here. And now, talking about this promise that was made to Abraham, and not just to Abraham, but to all, ultimately, all the peoples of the earth. If you would, excuse me. If you would turn to Romans chapter number four, and uh, we want to read verse number thirteen, and then we're going to read verses sixteen through twenty-one. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with me, as you can see, I don't have it on the screen. <laughs> so here we go. Romans four thirteen. It reads. Like this. It says, For the promise to Abraham or his posterity that he should inherit the world did not come through observing the commands of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay? And then verse number 16, Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of of the faithful or the father of all of us that have engaged the faith that we hold true and dear to our hearts today. Now, uh, for the sake of time, I, I'm not going to read uh, all of 16 through 21, but it's important uh, if you get a chance, you need to read it. And but verse number 21 says this. He says, after Abraham, uh, he, he was beyond hope. He was 100 years old. And the Bible says that he knew his body was dead. And yet, even though at this point in his life, he did not have a son, yet he continued to hope and to believe that this God that made an oath with him and spoke this word of promise to him, he still believed that even though he was 100 and Sarah was 90, beyond hope, the Bible says he still believed until it came to pass. And verse number 21 says, And being fully persuaded that he had promised, that he, what he had promised, he was able to perform. Wow, that's, that is a very 
powerful Scripture. And being fully persuaded that what He had promised, He was also able to perform. I like that. I believe that. Because we are founded. Our, our lives, my life, my hope, not in just this world, but in that world to come, living in that place called heaven, I am convinced that what God has promised, that He is able to bring it to pass no matter what. Because Jesus is my forerunner. Now, let me go to that Scripture for just a moment. Hebrews 6 and 20. Hebrews 6 and 20 is the only place in the entire Bible that we find the word forerunner. It is not found anyplace else. The word for the most part, I believe, is self-defining. Someone who runs out in front. We know that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus as recorded in Matthew 3 and 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John running out in front to make sure that the path was clear. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. He would go on to say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one that would identify and introduce the perfect Lamb of God. The word forerunner comes from a Greek word, prodromos, which means to prepare the way to run ahead or to scout. A soldier would be sent ahead of the main force to gather information. So John was able to perform the office he had been called to do. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one out front. He was the one declaring to the world that He had found the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed Son of God. But now, in Paul's day, there this word was also used to describe the smaller boats that were sent into the harbor by larger ships that were unable to enter due to stormy conditions. And so in other words, a big cargo ship or passenger ship would enter into a place and the, the waters would be rough and the ship was too big. It was too big. It couldn't make it to shore. And so the forerunner, if you will, this little boat would get a hold of that line from the mothership. On that line, <coughs> there was the anchor. And that small boat 
would make its way through those very treacherous waters, attached a lifeline from the mothership with the anchor, and it would make its way to the shore, and there that small boat, that forerunner, would secure the anchor to a rock or something that was stable, and once it did that, then and only then was that mothership secure and the passengers were in a net of safety, if you will. The ship was secured by that anchor, that smaller ship, that forerunner, that one that made its way through the storm, the wind, and the waves. And only when that forerunner's mission was completed was the lives of the men on board that mothership safe. Listen carefully again to verse number 20. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. How would you like to know that Jesus was out in front preparing the way for you this morning. How much encouragement would it be to know that Jesus is your promotas or your forerunner? How much encouragement, how much strength would it bring to your life knowing that Jesus paved the way so that you could come after Him? He came into the world. He calmed the stormy, the stormy sea of life in order for us to follow in His steps with a confident hope. How many, if Jesus was out in front of you, how many would feel confident that you could walk in His footsteps? Oh, you know you would. You know you would. And that is what the writer is telling us this morning. That that is what Jesus did. He was the forerunner. He was the captain of our salvation. He was the one that led the charge into the open seas. He was the one that walked on the water through the storm, anxiously waiting for the words of Peter as Peter was in fear and doubt in that ship. And Jesus walking through the storm as the forerunner. I'm sure He was anxiously just waiting for the words of Peter to say, Lord, if that is You, bid me come on the water. That's the forerunner. Wow. How many could walk in His footsteps? knowing that He had paved the way for you. We see disciples another time caught in a ferocious storm with the waves threatening to capsize the ship. Jesus is asleep, the Bible says this. And the disciples run and they wake Him up and they say, Master, don't you care that we are about ready to perish? I see Jesus waking up Bible says he rebukes the wind and he 
tells the sea, Peace, be still. He is the forerunner, if you will. There are no storms that He has not conquered. There are no, there is no darkness that He has not prevailed and paved the way for you and I. He is the captain of my salvation. He is my forerunner. Life is at times like the storms of the sea. Sometimes it's so dark we cannot see. Sometimes we feel the violence of the wind beating down on us. But oh, would you be encouraged today that if we knew that Jesus came and He made His way through all the storms of life and He made it safely to the other side and He did not leave us alone to navigate through life on our own, but as the forerunner, He took a lifeline and from heaven's throne and on that lifeline, He became that our anchor and He secured it safely to heaven's shores. He is my forerunner this morning. And so the writer says, this is our hope and it is the anchor of our soul that Jesus did become and fulfilled our the office of the forerunner. For it's one thing that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, but oh, can you believe and can you get a hold of the idea that Jesus is my forerunner? He paved the way for me. Wow. We can take this promise from God, His solemn word and His oath. Verses 13 and 15 were told when God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater than Him to swear by, He swore by Himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, Abraham, and I will give you many descendants. So we're told, so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Hebrews 6.17 Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to you and I, the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. When men pledge themselves to an oath, they pledge their word to the highest authority. Let me give you a couple of examples. As a witness in the court of law, do you solemnly swear to tell the whole truth? To tell the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help you God. That is an oath of a witness. And I guess they do have it. So now it's an option of whether they tell you to raise your right hand and, and put your other hand on the Bible. That I, I don't know. But of course, uh, that is... There's no greater. There's no greater oath that you can take than putting your hand upon the blessed, the mighty, the powerful, the omnipotent word of God from heaven. 
When President Trump took the oath of President of the United States, he placed his hand on the Bible that belonged to Abraham Lincoln. The end of the oath as that president, as that president puts his hand on that Bible, the end of that oath says this. It says, I will and will faithfully discharge the duties of the office which I am about to enter. Please understand. Look at that if you will. I will and will faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me God. The one giving this oath is a Supreme Court judge. The one giving the oath holds the highest office in the land. The writer tells us because there is no greater than God, He did two things. He gave us His Word and He took an oath. He made a covenant, if you will. What is this oath that God took? Two unchangeable things. His Word and His oath. It would have been enough for God just to give us His Word because He cannot lie. He cannot change. He is holy. He is beyond spot or wrinkle. He is perfect. His Word would have been enough. But it wasn't. He made, He took an oath. We've got to go back to Genesis 15 to find the beginning of such a covenant or oath in regards to this promise to Abraham. You can, you can turn there. Chapter 15 of Genesis. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here. God has given Abraham his word. He gave him his word. He now makes an oath or covenant. The way that he does that is that the Bible says that, that uh, God tells Abraham, he says, Bring a heifer, a ram, and, <coughs> and, a, and a goat. Pardon me. And cut them in half. And they are arranged in opposite sides. So that a person could walk down the middle of them, if you will. And this Abraham does. And the Bible says that Abraham apparently falls into a vision or a dream. And he wakes up and he sees a smoking furnace and burning lamp passing between the sacrifice. Verse number 18 says, And that same day God made a covenant with Abraham. In other words, God was moving beyond just his word. He was introducing a this what we call an oath 
or a covenant that was going to bring stability, that was going to be like a rock, that was going to be like a mountain of hope and security for the souls of men because God was going to introduce the forerunner that was going to pave the way that He was going to enter into a place that no man could go. You see, a covenant made in the Old Testament went like this. When two men make an oath or a covenant, once they agree on the terms of that oath, it cannot be broken except upon the death of one of the covenant makers. Wow. Cannot be broken except on the death of one of the two parties. In fact, if while living, one of the two break the terms of the oath, the penalty is death. So, it was a serious thing to make an oath in the day. That is why, listen carefully, I don't want to lose you. I hope you're with me this morning. That is why there had to be a continual substitutionary death in the Old Testament. Because the law given at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the law, that covenant that those people entered into, it was, it was broken by one of the parties. That party was Israel. That party was men. Now, let me turn to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. I hope you're with me this morning. Jesus Christ is the forerunner of my eternal salvation. He has sealed it. He paid the price. He made the way so that I could come after Him. Verse number 1 in Hebrews 10. We're told the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the reality. And because these daily sacrifices repeated cannot make perfect the worshiper. Remember, there is a covenant made. Two parties enter a covenant. There has to be, if the covenant is broken, there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a penalty of death. That is why that in Levitical, the Levitical priesthood order of things, that they continually had to offer sacrifices every day. And we're told in chapter number 10 that because these daily sacrifices repeated could not make perfect the worshiper. In other words, these people, they, as much as perfect as their sacrifice, it could never do anything for them. <laughs> 
as an individual. It could not transform their own personal life. And because we're told in chapter 10, because it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse number 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. Then I said, Here am I. It is written about Me in the book to do Thy will, O God. In accordance with this will of God, we have been made holy through the offering made once and for all by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. For by one offering, He has... Listen carefully. For by... He is my forerunner. For by one offering, He has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. And this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. I will put my law into their hearts and minds and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Wow. Let me read. I hope, I hope, uh, I hope you're getting this today. This is so powerful. Jesus is my forerunner. He has made, He has paved the way. He has went through the storms of life as one of us. He has set the course. He has made the way perfect so that you and I could follow Him. Let me read to you verses 19-23 from chapter number 10 from the Amplified Version. Hebrews chapter 10, 19-23 reads like this. Therefore, brethren, listen carefully. Therefore, brethren, since we have full freedom and confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies by the power and virtue in the blood of Jesus, our forerunner, by this fresh, new, and living way which He initiated and dedicated and opened for us through the separating curtain of the holiest of holies, that is, through His flesh. And since we have such a great and wonderful and noble priest who rules over the house of God, let us all come forward and draw near with true, honest, and engendered by with sincere hearts and unqualified assurance, absolute conviction. That is the leaning of the entire human personality on God, having our hearts sprinkled and purified. Let us seize and hold fast without wavering the hope we cherish and confess. For He who promised is reliable and faithful to His Word. He 
Let us, he said, get a hold of this thing. Get a hold of it. Seize it. Grab it. Because the one that promised that when he said he there is there is nothing greater. He looked there there he could swear by nothing greater. He could have just given us his word, but no, no, he made an oath. He made a covenant with us. And that invisible God that in the beginning was merely the Word, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us and became our brother in humanity and paved the way into a place that men could never get to. Sing carefully. Two things. He says, two things. This promise to Abraham and to all those that are children of Abraham, heirs of the promise, I will bless you. I will bless you. The blessing of God. Not the blessing of men. The blessing of God. That is the promise that we have. The promise of salvation. Two things that cannot ever change. His Word and His covenant. Gee, this new covenant is unconditional. An unconditional covenant is solely dependent on its fulfillment from the one making the covenant. In our case as sinful men, God makes a covenant. He's willing to go out. To step out from heaven's throne in order to make this promise a reality. He declares to the world, I am coming in the volume of the book to offer a body, a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of humanity. God makes a covenant that is sealed not only in His Word, but in his sacrifice of his body. The blood. The blood of Jesus. The blood that will never lose its power. Because that word became flesh. In other words, Jesus became our forerunner, preparing the way before us. In other words, the invisible God was willing to commit Himself to your salvation to, and hold it to such a high standard that he would, he would swear on His Word and just to bring it more in, into a, a reality to you and I. To help us to understand that, that what He was willing to do to save your soul and to take you to that place called heaven. He literally, in this oath, in this covenant, He stepped out of eternity and took time to become one of you and one of me. In other words, Jesus became our forerunner, 
preparing the way before us. Forever, forever, the Bible says, serving behind the veil as our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, we all know he's a little bit of a mysterious man, only found in the book of Genesis and mentioned a couple of other times, but simply we're told that he comes out of Jerusalem and he has no father and he has no mother. Let me, let me try to, to simplify. Remember, I read to you that when the president takes his oath of office, Can I just use my imagination just a little bit here and just offer you some words that, that uh, not Scripture per se, but listen carefully. Jesus, do you solemnly swear to perform the office of high priest for fallen sinful man? The answer, of course, yes, I do. Do you know the price that must be paid? Yes, I do. Are you willing to do that, God? Yes, I'm willing to offer myself a body, a flesh in order to redeem fallen men and take them to a place that only I can secure for them. Wow. The writer uses three words to give us confident hope. One, Hebrews 6, 18. It says, we who have fled to Him for refuge. In the Old Testament, so the, the writer here in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 uses three words as metaphors to give us a better grasp, if you will, on what should be the level, the confidence of our hope in our salvation. One of them, we find that it says, we who have fled to Him for refuge. See, in the Old Testament, there were six cities of refuge. In other words, these cities were set up. God made it so that if you made a mistake and killed somebody. Pretty serious mistake, right? I guess it happens sometimes. But if you made a mistake and killed someone, a relative or what the Bible calls an avenger of blood, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, could take your life if they caught up with you. Okay? And so because this was purely by accident, then the one 
that was running for their lives, for fear of their lives, because they'd made a terrible mistake, that they would run as fast as they could to these one of these six cities, and one of these cities that was called the city of refuge. And there it would be that that person would be safe, would be safe as long as they stayed within that city and as long as that high priest was alive. Wow. As long if you made a mistake, the author is writing, listen, he says, I want you to I want you to get a hold of this thing. This thing is so powerful that if you make a mistake that you can run into this place that Jesus has prepared for you and you will be safe and secure from the adversary, the avenger of your soul. Aren't you thankful this morning that you can run? You can run into that place that He has prepared because He said it in His Word and His oath. The other one was an anchor. An anchor. Jesus has secured our salvation. He has navigated his way through <coughs> He's navigated his way through every temptation, every storm, even to the graveyard. He carried that lifeline from heaven's throne. He carried it from heaven to earth. That anchor. He is our anchor. He's the captain of our salvation. He was that lifeline. He is that anchor that came from above and set His foot on earth and sealed it. He secured it at a place called Calvary's cross. The blood that flowed from the cross within the, that containment, that vessel of flesh. It sealed my redemption. It seals your ultimate destiny into the security of one day living with Jesus Christ Himself. He's my anchor. He's my forerunner. And the other one, the high priest. You see, in the Old Testament, Levitical priesthood, the high priest was the... Only one. He was the only one who could go behind the veil, behind the curtain, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. That precious Ark that the mercy seat covered. The mercy seat. The mercy seat. 
only one time a year, the high priest with blood could enter behind that curtain. There as he began to make an atonement for the sins of the people. And mercy was extended. Jesus, are you willing to go and fulfill the office of the high priest for fallen humanity? Yes, I am willing. I swear by my word. And I'm willing to make a covenant in flesh. Oh my goodness. So in the Levitical Old Testament priesthood, that, that high priest could only go behind that veil one time a year. And he, in, in a sense, it was off limits to everybody. And it represented the presence of God. So that ark represented the very presence of God. But this priest, the Old Testament priest, was not a forerunner for the people, but he was only a representative. You see, he entered into a place from which the people could not follow him. In other words, you and I could never enter the presence of the mighty God of heaven. We couldn't get into his presence with the first covenant in place. There's only a representative. We needed a forerunner. We needed somebody that could fulfill the office of that high priest once and for all. And the writer in the book of, of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, says that that is the confidence of our hope is that He did come and He did become my high priest. And when He gave His life on Calvary and when He said it is finished, the Bible tells us that curtain, that veil was torn from top to bottom. And literally, if you would, Jesus Christ, He tore that curtain down. He walked into that holiest of holies. And there the ark, if you will, the altar of God. He laid His life and secured it and sealed it with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And there the Bible... And the, the, and the mercy seat was lifted and the church was born. And now all men by virtue of Calvary, by virtue of the forerunner, now all men can enter boldly into the throne of grace and find help when there is a great trouble and need in our life because He navigated the storm. He brought healing. He brought salvation. He brought the anchor from heaven's throne. He secured it. He anchored His life to the throne, to the altar, to the ark, if you will, behind that holy place. His word would have been enough. He said, no, 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 no. 
I'm going to make them. I'm going to swear. He says, I'm going to swear by my word. And he said, then I'm going to take an oath and I am going to make this new covenant unconditional. What do you mean unconditional? That means that the one that makes the covenant that it is fully dependent on him fulfilling it and not the other party. Aren't you glad we have that in place? I close with this. There is a story of a of a what they call a, a cape or a piece of jagged rocky land jutting out in the ocean in Africa years ago, and it caused many sailors their lives in their attempt to navigate the rough waters in order to reach that shore. The mother's ship out there, they couldn't get to shore. And the weather was so treacherous that it literally took many, many lives. And the weather was so consistent and so continually treacherous that, that the sailors called it, they named this place the Cape, the Cape of Storms. Story goes that a Portuguese captain was determined to find a safe route that would lead through these rough waters so his countrymen could reach the shores on, I think it was the East Indies or something. And, and finally he succeeded. And when he did, they renamed this place not the Cape of Storms, but that they called it the Cape of Good Hope. Close with the story in John 21. I can imagine the story that, the, that you were talking about the hope, the hope, the hope, the hope this morning. The hope of what? The promise. The promise that first was given to Abraham. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. The story we find in John 21 after the resurrection, after Calvary, after three days in the tomb, and Jesus has been alive. And uh, we find that the disciples, they're, they're, they seemingly, they, they just don't, they still, they need something, they need something to get a hold of. And then Peter says, I'm going fishing. The rest of them say, well, we're going fishing too. All night, it, throughout the dark early morning, they catch nothing. And all of a sudden, there's a voice that comes from the shoreline. And John hears it. I think John's the first one to hear the sounding of the voice. And, and once Peter affirms it, the Bible says, he jumps in that water and he swims to shore. And we find that Jesus is on the shore. He has bread and fish waiting for them. And He says, come and dine. You see, they were now entering in. He wanted to impress upon them that the storms have been subsided. There was a new covenant in place. There was this thing called fellowship with Him. Come and dine, He said. Come and, uh, and sup with me. The, the, the knock on the door. Let me in. 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 There is in place the anchor of hope. The Bible says that hope, the anchor of our soul. Jesus is my forerunner. 
He has came. He has paved the way. And I am convinced that the way is secure and it can be for you. I pray that it is as we make our way safely and securely into that place that He is even now preparing for us. God bless you richly today. Enter in to that place with boldness knowing that He is on the throne of grace. Bless you.